Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made for More podcast. Today I am speaking with Gary Edwards. Gary is a professional communication and speaking coach who shows leaders and professionals how to create the conversations that build their business and improve their lives. Gary is self-described as a communication activist. He is passionate about showing people how to maximize their ability to communicate in ways which achieve goals and realize the potential in people, situations, and organizations. Uh, His goal is to generate and share useful ideas, content, and tools to help people be happier and more successful in all facets of their life. Knowing what works to achieve goals and unlock potential in tough situations comes from Gary's broad-ranging and unique career as a lawyer, negotiation expert, trained mediator, university lecturer, and adjunct professor, business consultant, conference speaker, and this is my favorite part, he's a professional corporate magician. All of these experiences have given him a unique insight into communication, influence, belief, and how human beings make decisions. Uh, Today, Gary and I talk all things communication, which you know is something that I love and I'm very passionate about. And uh, Gary and I riff on uh, all things comms and why it's important for you to be able to communicate with influence and be able to influence the people around you. Let's jump on in. Uh, You can check out all of the show notes by going to the link in uh, in the in the show notes today and also Gary's got a great little download for 10 ways to improve your influence let's jump on in welcome to the made for more podcast I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert, a Nutella lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife, and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team, and your business. Let's go. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made for More podcast. I am joined uh, by a very special Adelaide guest, a, a magician, although we won't be seeing any of that today. It is Gary Edwards. Welcome, Gary. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. Uh, you might not actually remember this, Gary, but I first met you at a Wake Up conference and you were one of the speakers on stage and I was captivated by your magician skills when you turned a short piece of string into a long piece of string and I think it was uh, it was pretty encapsulating actually most people remember that that trick oh you're the guy with the rope trick I'm thinking <laughs> of putting that on my business card the guy with the rope trick <laughs> I'm the rope guy always a good good uh good thing to have so before we get uh stuck into it today Gary can you share a little bit around where you've come from and where you're going well, uh, you know, in the classic phrase, I was born and raised here in Adelaide and haven't haven't moved very far. Um, so I'm one of six kids in my family, which is a large family, and I guess. And um, my parents had um, two lots of three kids. They had three kids within six years, and they had a six-year break, and they had another three. So I I kind of grew up with my two brothers, and I'm the I'm the middle one, and my sister was also at home. My two older brothers had kind of moved out from what I could remember. 
Um, so we grew up here in Adelaide. Um, I, you know, went to school. I liked school. I was good at school. Uh, I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, the two things I wanted to do were to be a lawyer or to be a teacher. My eldest brother was a teacher. I didn't particularly want to be a school teacher like he was, but I wasn't sure what else you could do with it. Um, but I just had this idea of teaching. So I became a lawyer and um, also got into education, got into teaching. So I started doing teaching at TAFE in business law. Um, I worked for seven years with the UniSA, uh, teaching law graduates how to do all the very practical things that you need to do to be a lawyer, uh, which is what really got me into the communication side of things, teaching them how to prepare cases for court and present them and how to negotiate and resolve conflict. Uh, which was actually something that I read and thought a lot about as I was growing up. So I've always had an interest in um, communication and influence. Uh, I remember I used to have these arguments with the brother above me and, and they weren't um, messy arguments. They were just sort of clever intellectual type arguments. And I remember him once saying to his girlfriend at the time, don't ever argue with Gary, you won't win. And uh, <laughs> I, was very, I was very pleased with myself. I thought, oh, wow, you know, I, I, I thought I was winning those arguments and it's been confirmed. Um, so I, I was in education and consulting for a long time, Ali, and then uh, about 20 years ago, I think, I jumped ship and went out on my own and thought, what could possibly go wrong? I had no plan and no money. Um, I still am not sure I have a plan, but I have more money than I did then. <laughs> and uh, where am I going? I'm kind of happy to just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm really passionate, as you know, about um and, you know, we're in a similar area in terms of your courageous conversations and my stuff centers around influential conversations. And so I'm just very passionate about helping people be more successful in business and life by being able to uh, communicate more effectively. Yeah, brilliant. And I think there's nothing like having a bit of a sibling rivalry to really hone your debate skills. Is it? I, I'm one of four and certainly you can argue much better than my husband who is an only child. I'm like, no, we're just having an argument. It's not a, it's not a fight. It's just a discussion. So I think it is definitely one of those skills that you can learn from an early age that carries you right through yep, into yep. adulthood. So obviously studying for law is a big chunk of time. How did you go, I guess, letting the family letting the family know that you were not going to be the, the lawyer of the family? Um, well, it was quite funny because I started, uh, I, I worked for the Commonwealth Bank for a year before I, what's now called a gap year. And um, so I just, you know, <laughs> just to earn a bit of money to before you go to uni. And, uh, and the plan was to go to uni. And at one point during that period of time, and I was earning the grand sum of $90 a week. And I thought that was pretty good. Um, and I remember telling my mum I decided I wasn't going to go to university um, because I was, you know, having fun earning money. And um, she uh, put it in her diary. I saw it there one day, Gary drops bombshell. And I went, oh, okay, right. So that clearly was not popular. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and today shall it forever be known as the day that Gary dropped the bombshell. <laughs> and uh, But then I, you know, got into law and, and, uh, and practised law for about 10 years and um, I just slowly transitioned over into teaching. Um, I did it part-time um, and when I became a full-time lecturer at university, I was, I was lecturing and talking to young lawyers. So they had a law degree and then you had to do a 12-month program and all the very practical skills of being a lawyer. Mm. Um, so uh, for, for my mother, you know, who's 91 and so comes from that era, having a lawyer in the family is a big thing. Yeah. Uh, and if you can be a lawyer, why would you not want to be a lawyer? Why would you choose to do anything else? 
And so, you know, in a sense, she was extremely proud of having a lawyer as a son. And, and we never really talked about it when I stopped doing it. But it was actually just recently she said to me, something was on the television that made her look at me. And for the very first time in 100 years, she said uh, something like, do you ever regret it? Or do you ever, you know, uh-huh. and I went, oh, my God, we're having the chat. We're having the talk. <laughs> And uh, I said, no, no, uh, I said, you know, my law degree has got me to where I am. It's um, uh, quite frankly, a law degree is the gift that keeps on giving because I have found that if you've got one, people think you know a whole lot of stuff that you don't actually know. It's kind of this, you know, (laughs) bit of a shiny object. And I I just said to her, you know, what I do now is highly regarded and I'm kind of known for the stuff that I do and I'm very happy with it. And so she said, oh, well, that's good. You know, like most mothers, as long as you're happy doing what you're doing, yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I wonder if it was the anniversary of the uh, Gary Drops bombshell. <laughs> that's Perhaps. Right. She's keeping that to herself. It was only, you know, 40 years later or something. Oh, it's, we hold on to these things, us mums, for, for, um, for later on down the track when we can strike. So now you work with organisations, with leaders, with teams around influence. And I think this is really topical at the moment because we need to be more influential now than we ever have before, uh, particularly that transition for leaders. You know, it used to be if you held the leader, the position of leadership, it was very much a do as I say, get on with it. And now the times are changing and I think it's refreshing, but I also think it's very much an unknown place for a number of leaders, particularly those that are new or perhaps haven't had experience of having a great leader. So can you explain a little bit around what your thoughts are around influence and why we need it? Yeah, very much so. Uh, And as you say, the times these days, the COVID times that we're in, um, you know, everything's very uncertain. That's probably the, the greatest, you know, phrase we've ever used. We keep talking about things being uncertain. And, uh, you know, from a from a neurological point of view, a psychological point of view, our, our brains really don't like uncertainty. We really struggle with it. And we really struggle with the idea that we're not in control of things. So I think, I think what we've seen uh, is... Um, is business has gone in two directions and sometimes both directions at the same time. One is we've sort of narrowed down. I need to survive. I need to sell stuff. I need to, I I can't be, I can't be nice to people. I need to focus, focus, focus. And I need to be more influential because I need to be able to hit the goals and and, and achieve my goals and so on. And so there's been a narrowing down, uh, which is a bit of a, uh, you know, survival mechanism. But there's also been a bit of an opening up uh, in the sense of, wow, if things are so uncertain, um, maybe there are great possibilities out there. Mm. And, um, and certainly with our staff, you know, there are, and I've seen this on organisations, some organisations are kind of taking the approach of, right, I need to drive my staff in this direction because that's the only way we survive. And others have gone, you know, and, and um, uh, staff have also said, hey, look, I want to be treated differently. I'm not happy with the way we've done things in the past. Uh, and things have sort of opened up a bit. And one of the things about being a, a younger leader, of course, is you're trying to get a handle on it. You're trying to work out what it means to be a leader. Uh, does it mean kind of being directive and persuasive? Or can you just hold on to that uncertainty? And can you work with people and help them to help you be a leader? Mm. So I think, you know, and I, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, that I'm, you know, I'm glad to be able to say that I think I can help people in both of those areas. Yeah, 
Absolutely, you can. And you, you've hit the nail on the head there. I think what, what worked in the past definitely doesn't work now. And for young leaders, it's it's even more tricky on how do you navigate it. Not only are you new to the leadership space, but perhaps you're trying to be influential uh, to lead this, you know, multi-generational team matrix that we have these days as well, where, you know, now more than ever is four, what is it, four generations are they saying that a team yeah. consists of? Which if we think about the experiences of all of those individuals, you need to have a lot of a lot of tools up your sleeve to be able to communicate with influence to get the buy-in. And yeah. we're not face-to-face. You know, there's so many factors. So when we're talking about influence, what are some of the, I guess, what are some of the easy wins that leaders can start implementing to be more influential? Yeah, I think the uh, key to this, um, uh, I'm very much influenced myself by a man called Alan Weiss, who's an American consultant. Yeah. And um, and Alan's a, Alan's a real character. He's a real uh, New York, rough around the edges, kind of tough talking kind of guy. Um, and sometimes people look at that and they go, gee, he's a bit obnoxious or, or a bit rough. Uh, but that just hides, you know, if you, if you don't look beyond that, you won't learn from what he's got to say. And he is just a genius at um, influencing people and building relationships. And the key phrase that he uses, which is really the the focus of my business, uh, he always says, the conversation controls the relationship and the relationship controls the business. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think, I, I just boil everything down to that because, as you say, across generations, across levels of generations, and also sideways across cultures within organisations, um, it's the relationships that you have. And I know, you know, we've talked about this forever about relationships, um, but it's the relationship that you have uh, and the conversation that creates that relationship. And, you know, people don't complain about um, the, the CEO at the top of the organisation. They complain about their manager. They complain about the person who has the most uh, effect or impact on them. Mm. Uh, so it's really key, I think, more than ever before. And I've, I've mentioned this to you a little while back that, you um, to me, communication and influence is, you know, I think Einstein said we use about 10% of our brain. I actually think we use about 10% of our communication and influence skills. And, and I've been in situations where I've had to use communication and influence skills at a higher level, you know, appearing in court. Uh, I've worked with police hostage negotiators. I've seen that at work. Um, I've, I've uh, you know, presented information. I've been on large stages presenting to people. And you've got to take your communication and influence to a, a far different level. And, uh, you know, one, one analogy I like to use is that I tend to think of our ability to influence people. It's a bit like owning a Formula One car and only driving it to the shop on the weekends. You know, we're, <laughs> just, not, we're just not using the capacity that we've got. Uh, and that capacity is the ability to not, as I say, not just push people in a particular direction, uh, but to build those relationships knowing and trusting uh, that that will uh, lead to the right result. And, and that word trust is absolutely essential. You know, that's why the conversation builds the relationship which builds the business. Um, you know, trust me, I'm a lawyer, right? So uh, who better, to, <laughs> and a magician, who better to talk about trust than a lawyer and a magician, right? And, and it's Slide of hand and slide of word. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly, I mean, you mentioned before, I mean, I've been a magician. I started doing magic when I was seven years old. Yeah. And um, and it just was this theme through my life. And when you're a kid and you can do magic and fool people and get adults to believe things that aren't true, yeah, uh, it kind of messes with your brain, but also gives you a lot of <laughs> insights into what it means to what it means to influence people, what it means to build trust. 
And uh, I mean, I use magic as part of my presentation because it's a metaphor for communication, but also yeah. there are there are real psychological insights into how magic works and why it works. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, and quite literally, the, you know, the magic words, it very much is that. I remember being once uh, as a lawyer going down to court and uh, in court you have uh, judges and we, uh, me and the other guy, the other lawyer, we went to appear before a judge, not for a trial, but for what's called a directions hearing. In other words, you've got a case coming up and they need to sort out who's doing what and how many witnesses you're going to have and all that kind of thing. And so you go there and you end up, the judge makes an order for what things are going to happen. And the phrase that the judge used, we, he's looking at us, he's saying, essentially he's saying, what have you agreed on? What do you want me to write down? Okay, what do you want me to write down for this order? But the phrase he used is, what form of words do you want me to use? What form of words? And it is literally a magic spell. It's, it's like the old, you know, if you say open sesame, the right words in the right way, the, the, the thing opens. Yeah. And he was saying, if you get the right words in the right order, yeah. then this order will operate to have this effect. And I just sat there going, this is like a magic trick. You know, this is, this is exactly the same thing. It's saying yeah. the right words in the right way. Yeah. Interestingly, just on, on that, the right words in the right way, when we're thinking about recruitment and HR, I think a lot of that now is automated and purely on uh, how do we fit in the right words in the right way to be able to get to that next stage. So yeah. I think language is becoming more and more influential, more and more important of how we are communicating to those around us. So when we're thinking about um, some of these communication things and how do we, you know, how do we be more influential and how do we do this as leaders? You know that I'm a big believer in communication or the fact that we've got a massive lack of understanding of communication. And my belief is that pretty much all of the problems that we have in the workplace could be solved, 98%, I reckon, could be solved with better communication. Something that I often wonder about uh, is that it's very rare that we have formal communication learnings or training. I mean, there's there's comms if you're in the, the media marketing side of things, if you've got comms, air quotes, going out to, you know, your customers or your clients or whatever is happening on the public face. But in terms of interrelational communication skills, it's not something that we're really taught at school. It's not something that we're really taught at work. And often it's not something that we learn on the job because there's not great role models. What, what do you think? Is there an antidote for this? Is it around understanding the importance of communication or is it going to be something that is going to be a continual barrier for people to get along and get get impact at work i think the big antidote ali is that people need to engage you and me more often to <laughs> teach them how to do it <laughs> um, but you're quite right and i always say to people you know people introduce themselves and they tell you what their job is and what their title is and and i i then say to them you know you've all told me what you do what your job title is but um mm. 70% of our, whatever your job title is, 70% of our work is, for, for most people, 70% of your time is spent communicating. Yeah. So uh, regardless of what your job title is, we're all actually professional communicators. Mm. And, and every organisation has a heap of plans. They've all got strategic plans, HR plans, succession plans, financial plans, marketing plans, plans for everything, except mm. a plan on how we communicate in the workplace yeah. and how we communicate with people. And like you said, you know, there are what, what's typically called strategic communication. How do we get our message out to the world? Yeah. Um, but essentially, I spend, you know, a lot of my time teaching people how to negotiate with each other, how yeah. to resolve, uh, but not only resolve, but also prevent conflict from happening. 
And I remember when I worked as a lawyer, I would have people come to me with a legal problem and we'd end up going to court or settling, you know, negotiating a settlement. And I just found myself listening to the story of how they got to this point. And most of the time, and this was a, this, I found this a bit frustrating, but it was also motivating, uh, that most of the time those people, the problem that they had wasn't because they didn't know what the law was, uh, and they, they didn't know what the law was, but that wasn't the problem. Their problem was that they weren't able to talk to the other person. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't able to um, take the, direct, the conversation in the right direction at the right time. Yeah. And one thing about being a lawyer is you diagnose people. It's a bit like being a doctor. You ask lots of questions. And so when, and because you're trying to say, okay, you've got this problem or that problem. And so you'd ask lots of questions of the client sitting in front of you and they'd tell you what happened. And there was one question I would always want to ask them, but you couldn't. Uh, there would be a point in the conversation where I just feel like saying, what on earth did you say that for? <laughs> it's just that moment where you go, oh, you didn't, did you? Oh, yeah. really? You, oh, you did that? Oh, well, kind of, well, there's your problem right there. And and you yeah. can't say that to them. But um, what I ended up realising was these skills, these these supposedly you know advanced skills that I had as a lawyer, uh, I felt I was kind of, they were wasted by the time they got to me. And that's really been a, a motivator for me to, to take those skills, those negotiation and influence skills, and to be able to teach them to other people so that they never need lawyers in the first place. Yes, I love that. And I, and you're so right. Often we say things in a reactive space that gets either blown completely out of proportion or we escalate it completely out of proportion and it's purely on lack of understanding or misunderstanding or you might have said something in a way that was interpreted interpreted in another way, You know, which is why, of course, email can be so problematic these yeah. days as well because we're missing out on the vital pieces of the communication. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And people, absolutely. uh, you know, I'll watch two people. I remember um, sort of project managing a few things at the university, and we had the university on one side and a client organization on the other. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there watching these two people talk, and they were both speaking English, and therefore they both thought they were speaking the same language. But <laughs> I, That's good. Uh, but I speak fluent university, and I speak fluent, and I won't name the other organization, but it, but it's a, it's a fairly unique organization. And I speak fluent that as well yep, right uh, and I'm just listening what it's like watching a game of ping pong this ball going back and they think they're talking to each other and they think they're understanding each other and they're actually going past each other and they're they're both sitting there nodding their head and I'm thinking no 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 this is not going anywhere you're not getting <laughs> any agreement here and I would just I was an interpreter of the English language to English speakers yep. and I would say did you realize that when he said this he actually meant that Mm. Did you realise when she said that she actually was talking about that? And they go, oh, okay, right. And and that's not to be overly critical of those people. It just made me realise, wow, there is just a there is just a role here for people to to be able to not just. And I think one of the reasons why that was happening is because I think both parties, both sides of it, were sort of coming from a position of power and a mm. position of trying to influence the other person, mm-hmm. trying to kind of persuade them and I'm good and you have to be, you know, they were both trying to sell each other their own version of the world yeah. and all they did was sort of hear the other person nod their head but have no real understanding of what they were talking about. Yes. And you're talking about opposing businesses and I think this happens even within a business, whether it's oh, two yeah. different teams or even people within the same team and I think sometimes we're so busy trying to 
listen so that we can say what we think and respond rather than actually listening to understand and, and go, okay, what is it that we're trying to achieve here? Where are we trying to go? So what are some of your tips for leaders to, you know, is it, my mum used to say, you've got two ears, one mouth, use them proportionately. Um, and now I speak for a living, so the joke's really on her, isn't it? Um, but, you know, what what is it? Like, is there some fundamental thing that maybe we even need to be teaching this to kids at school? You know, how do you actually communicate effectively and influentially? But what's something that you see as a, a stumbling block for leaders? Uh, and just on the thing about teaching this to kids at school, I am absolutely certain that that does happen now, certainly more than when I was at school. You know, kids are taught to uh, speak better and to uh, negotiate with each other. So, uh, yeah, it's starting to happen. Um, but some of the stumbling blocks for leaders, I, I, I think we tend to have a, uh, you know, communication is seen to be just talking. And so we communicate every time we open our mouth, right? No, no, yep. we don't. We just, we say stuff. We don't necessarily communicate. Yep. And communicate is not what we say. It's really what the other person does as a result of what we say. Yes, and that's good. We've all, yeah, we've all been in meetings and everyone agrees. Everyone knows what has to happen. And we all nod our heads and we all know exactly what has to happen and who has to do what. And we go away and nothing happens. Nothing changes. So everyone heard what was said, everyone understood what was said, and everyone agreed. But the true message that came out of that meeting was, this is what we should do, but if you don't do it, it won't matter, we'll have another meeting next week. Mm. And so people, because people sit there, because communication is about words, but it's not really about words, it's about the picture we have in our head. Yeah. And when people sit at a meeting and they say, oh, yes, I'll do that, the picture in their head is, oh, my God, I've got a heap of work on my desk already. This thing is going down the bottom of the pile. Yep. So when I say I'll do it, well, I'm not going to do it. So, mm. uh, and, and we know there'll be another meeting next week. And it's been shown that when people get the minutes of a meeting, they, they read the minutes for two things. One, was I there? And two, did I, was I given a job to do that I need to, um, you know, find a way to explain why I haven't done it because the meeting is in five minutes' time? so yeah uh, yes yeah. that is so true whoops was I meant to have anything actioned by the next meeting the next meeting's in five minutes can I do it in five minutes oh yeah. no we'll uh we'll just pass it over to next next meeting and there's no uh and not that you know not that people should be punished for it whatever but there are no consequences there's no end result and so mm. we just sort of drift along and we don't like to uh we don't like to have those slightly as you would call them a courageous or a slightly confronting conversation we don't mm. like to have that because i don't want to confront you about your stuff because you might confront me about my stuff mm. and and therefore we kind of avoid it and mm. we don't uh, we don't hold each other accountable enough and so we end up in you know we were aiming over there and we ended up over here and that's close enough and you know tomorrow the sun comes up and everything's okay and well okay let's just get on with it yeah, and and uh, and not that we have to be strictly, you know, bashing away at making sure everything's perfect all the time. Uh, yeah. But in terms of you know talking about the barrier, communication is not what comes out of your mouth. And if you want to achieve a result, then the action that people do is what you communicated. Mm. And therefore, we actually have to work our way backwards. Because I have a little phrase which I'm sure you'd uh, be familiar with, which is that belief drives behavior. Yep. And so people behave based on what they believe and if you if they believe oh well if I don't do this nothing will change then that's what they will do it's like kids right you know you, I don't have any kids Ali I know you've got four I don't have any but that makes me an expert on them because I I watch other people 
And if you ask one of your boys to clean up their room, yeah, and and if you if they know that if they don't clean it up, mum will come in and clean it up for them, then they won't clean it up. Yep. So yeah. you know the <laughs> guilty. <laughs> <laughs> the belief drives the behavior. And again, having been a magician for many years, I, I learned very early on how to create beliefs in the minds of other people. Yeah. And what I learned was I can I can get people to believe things as a magician that are untrue, illogical, and impossible. Yeah. Right? They believe it. And I, I go, I look at them and I go, really? You fell for that? Right. Okay. And most of the time we are trying to get people to believe things that are true, logical, and possible. Yeah. It's true that I'm good at my job. It's logical that if you use me, I'll, I'll make a difference. And it's possible that we could work together. Yeah. But why do we have so much trouble selling our services mm. when our services are true, logical, and possible? Uh, mm. And I just I get fascinated by this area of belief. Yeah. And so the real barrier, to go back to your original question, I think is how do we, you know, what behavior do we want? What belief do we have to create? And how do we use the right words at the right time to create that belief? It's a little bit of a, you know, magic words type of situation. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And something that I I recognise, and you're, you're saying a similar thing, is this idea of if we're going, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're in the meeting. Next step is ABC or X, Y, and Z, whatever it happens to be. However, my expectation of what a good version of X, Y, and Z is, is very different to your expectation of what a good version of X, Y, and Z is. But we've never talked about, by my understanding and your understanding and then we come back together and I'm either deeply disappointed and you're going oh well this is really good this is you know up to my standard and then we get this conflict that often happens or you know the assumptions or the belief that perhaps someone isn't up to scratch when it comes to their work or they weren't paying attention or they didn't put in their best effort which you know as you know can can be the spiral of of conflict and oh it yeah, we're singing. We're singing the, the same song here. I think Gary is communication is so underrated, um, but such a an easy lever for leaders to pull if they want to be learning more about influence. Yeah. And, and yeah. Sorry, when I was uh, a teenager uh, and I was having these arguments with my brother and so on, and um, I became I was just really interested in conflict and negotiation. I used to read heaps of stuff on it. Yeah. And and I'd I'd have I'd have these arguments. And I came to the conclusion, which I think is a fairly uh perhaps unusual thing for a teenager to do, but I realized that the person who was arguing against me or against someone else, uh, even though I could kind of maybe show them how I thought they were wrong, or maybe I could argue in a way that uh, somehow pulled their argument apart, um, I, I just remember the moment when I thought that person believes what they are saying as much as I believe what I'm saying. And and we and I just went wow like I think they're wrong but they are truly believing that yeah and we're seeing that at the moment of course and it's never more um, more obvious than in the US where it's highly polarized about you know vaccines and so on yeah and and people who say you know it's more about my freedom than it is about my health and etc mm. and I mean America come whilst we have a lot of similarities with America they have a very different background in terms of their relationship going way back with England and fighting to have their freedom from England and so on and it, I was always going, I was always thinking, where, where's the difference? What is this, uh, this idea about their freedom and how come that, uh, why is that such a big thing to them? Uh, and it contradicts the idea of staying healthy. You know, I have the freedom to not have a vaccine, for example. Yeah. Um, and until I heard one guy say, 
And and again, this is a like you said, it's kind of that expectation of what a government is compared to you know mm. our expectation. And he said, he said, you have to understand that I believe the government's job is to protect my rights, not to protect my health. Oh, and I went, oh yeah. Nice. Whereas we look at the government and say, okay, we've got Medicare and so on, and you know the government will act to help us protect our health or our finances or whatever. Mm. And he said, no, no, it's purely to protect our constitutional rights. And I look, I look after my own health. That's not your job. That's yeah. not the government's job. And so again, we're, we're all speaking English. We're all kind of in the same ballpark in terms of concepts, but it's a completely different way of looking at the world. Yeah, and even that conditioning from one continent to, to another, if you've grown up in the States and your conditioning is this is, you know, this is our constitutional rights, this is what we stand for versus an Australian background and what we grow up believing and, and how we form our beliefs of what is the government for and, and, what, and what we need to adhere to can just have such a big impact on conflict and the way that communication plays part in that. Yeah, and I think it's that phrase, and I think this, as you say, happens within organisations as well, as well. but it's sometimes said that uh, whether it's Australia and America or England and America, two countries divided by a common language. Yes. And that yes. happens in the workplace, doesn't it? You know, common it language is all on the same page, and if we're all on the same page and we've all agreed on it, why didn't this happen? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If we're saying the same things, why are that we're getting different versions? And I, I've things. been doing magic tricks for a long time, and and now I find myself in the middle of tricky conversations uh, because it is it's tricky. And, yeah. Um, uh, and and it becomes tricky because not only are these beliefs uh, uh, in our brains, and and it's possible to find out what those beliefs are, uh, but what we both know causes the real issue is when those beliefs come out is the emotion behind it. Yeah. And deal, you know, in terms of the barrier for any leader, it's the emotion. Things go wrong when people get angry and upset with each other yep. because all of a sudden their brain chemistry changes and they feel under threat in some way um, or their their persona, their identity feels under threat. And and we very quickly fight back against that. And I, I often use the analogy of um, uh, people own a dog. And one thing about a dog is that a dog gives you unconditional love, right? So you've got a great relationship with a dog. Mm -hmm. uh, they give you unconditional love. They hate it when you leave. They love you when you come back. They lick you all over. There is nothing more unconditional than the love of a dog. But have you ever tried to take a bone away from a dog while <laughs> eating it? They will rip your arm off, right? <laughs> so all of a sudden, the dog that loves you more than it loves itself will kill you if you try to take its food away from it. Yes. And I just think that's what happens with humans. You know, we all get on well, but you try to tell me that I can't have that. And all of a sudden, with the best will in the world, we all sort of kind of turn on each other. Yep. Survival mode. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So what do you think is your favourite magic trick? Oh, I've got a magic trick, which is, um, it's called, it's just known as the rubber band trick. And it's two oh. rubber bands. Yes. And um if I had any rubber bands, I could show you. <laughs> um, but uh, it's two rubber bands that are joined. You put them on your fingers and they are joined. And yes. a moment later, they are not joined. Oh. That's my favourite trick because of the reactions it gets from people. Uh, it's a very clever trick, sort of technically, mm. uh, simple but clever. And it is, uh, it's got kind of, it's got so much, you know, there are principles about how you do magic and, and this particular trick has got a lot of these principles built into it. Into, and it's a great, so if you're trying to teach someone about magic, like the principles of it, you show them this trick, they will learn a lot from it in terms of presentation, the psychology, uh, the timing of it, all that kind of thing. 
because yeah. most magic is people always want to know how magic works and this is exactly the same with um uh with communication people want to know what what is the mechanics of the trick how does it work mm. and the mechanics is kind of 10% whereas the psychology and the presentation is the other 90% yeah um and once and that's why when people find out how a trick works they tend to go well that was simple yeah, uh, because all they're seeing is the mechanics of it, the, the actual mechanism of it. What they don't see is all the stuff around it that uh, needed to be in place. Yeah, so that's my favourite one because I, I I can do that trick without actually looking at what I'm doing. And what I do is I watch the other person's face because I just love the moment. Because what happens is their eyes just get bigger, slightly bigger. And that is literally their eyes trying to get more light in. It's like I don't believe it. I need to. I need to get more light. I need to see this again, right? And yeah. I just love that moment of that reaction on people's face. Well, you have to show me next time we catch I will. up. I will. All right, let's uh, let's shift gears here a little bit. Your top five tips for leaders. Yeah, Hit me uh, with so it. top five tips on uh, influence. Um, the key thing about influence that I learned many years ago is that um, in order to get some, in order to influence someone, the best way to influence them is to get them to the point where they will let you influence them. Ooh. Uh, and that really means about building a relationship. So uh, to influence someone, you have to get them to the point where they are willing to let you influence them. In other words, willing to let you talk to them, willing to consider what you've got to say. The second one is that sometimes influence is seen as trying to push people in a certain direction, be persuasive, influence them to your point of view. I actually think being influential is about, I call it unlocking possibility. Mm. So you might walk into a room, you have no agenda, you have no particular outcome you're looking for, uh, but you are influential if you help that group of people to see what the possibilities are and create a good outcome. So it's not just about pushing in one direction, it's about unlocking possibilities. Um it's very much about relationships, and I think there are three levels uh, of uh, relationship that we need to focus on as leaders. We all know we need to build relationships, and we spend time building relationships. We talk about that a lot, but we also need to maintain and repair relationships. Mm-hmm. So we need to keep a focus on it, because as we all know, if you don't maintain and repair relationships, uh, that's how divorce happens, right? So if you, <laughs> yes. you know, your personal relationship, you go, what the hell happened then? You know, how come I'm divorced all of a sudden? Uh, I thought we had a relationship. Well, you did, but it fell apart and you didn't yeah. do anything about it. Um, so that's number three. Uh, number four is um, two key things in order to build a relationship. Two absolutely fundamental things are respect and a common goal. Mm. So respect for the other person, even if you don't agree with them. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be a personal respect in a sense. You may not like the other person, but to have that level of professional respect for who they are and what they've got to say and a common goal. And um, sometimes that common goal is very specific about we're trying to both achieve this end result, but sometimes the common goal is simply working out uh, an outcome that is okay for both people. Yep. So the common goal is being able to work together. Yeah. And the last one, number five, would be, um, as we have discussed, I think communication is often just, you know, whatever comes out of your mouth as you speak. But I think we need to do a little bit better than that. And so I would suggest to leaders to think about the question, what do you want to achieve with your communication today? Yeah. What do you want to achieve with it? Not just how do I get my job done, not how do I talk people into things. But, you know, what we can achieve with our communication is basically three things. We can support other people. We can advance our own needs and we can do what I mentioned before, which is to unlock possibility. And, and certainly in COVID times, if you're stuck at home with your family as well, how do you support the people around you? 
how do you advance your own needs so that you don't feel as though you're always giving to other people? Yeah. And how do you unlock the possibilities of what's happening in your family at the moment? Yeah, I love that. That's so good. And I think we need to, you know, wake up every day and be thinking that and focusing on what it is that. Yeah. What can I do with my communication today? What can I, rather than just reacting, what can I, what can I make happen? What can I help to happen? Yep. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, and you have got a, an additional resource for people if they are looking to up their influence. Uh, the 10 strategy is to be more influential in any situation. I'll add the links into the, uh, the show notes for today. But if you are listening and you've got a pen handy, it is gettalk, G-E-T-T-A-L-K dot at A-T forward slash influen. I-N-F-L-U-E-N, jump in there. And uh, Gary has very kindly offered to share his 10 strategies to be more influential in any situation. Thanks, Gary. uh, Ali, just quickly, when people people click on that, uh, it actually asks you to answer two questions. And the two questions are uh, something like, did you enjoy hearing Gary today and would you recommend him to someone else? So you just have to answer those questions to get past that, to get the resource. Feel free to say, no, I hated every minute of it and I'd never recommend him to anyone. Uh, You know, the questions are not there for me to get some praise. It's just the two questions that are part of the system. So just say whatever you want and then you'll get the resource at the end of it. I'm sure everyone has loved listening to how to be more influential. It's one of those key tools that we all need as leaders as well. So thank you, Gary, for being on the show today. It was awesome to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com.au forward slash podcast. And of course, if we aren't connected already, you can find me in all the usual places. Ali Nitschke on LinkedIn, Ali.MadeForMore on Facebook and Instagram. I hope you have an awesome week and I'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.